chapter 2 is where I'm drawing your attention this evening, the book of Mark chapter number 2. We thank the Lord for the opportunity of being here with you in the services. Looking forward to Monday through Friday being with you. We hope that you will grab one of our prayer cards up in the front. Pray for the Aguiar family as we minister and help small struggling churches. We uh, do not charge churches as we go in and work with them, as we minister to them. Be praying with us that God would raise up our support as we work with churches. As I mentioned, we do not charge, and so our support comes basically from, or our finances come from supporters across America that take a part each month in contributing to our needs. Uh, Let me just mention a few of the places we've gone each night. I'll be mentioning a little bit of churches that we've helped, different ones that uh, we may have taken a part in. We had the opportunity of working with the Victory Baptist Church. I will say this, we only work with Baptist churches of like faith and practice. And uh, we do that. That way we don't have to worry about a lot of false doctrine. uh, But we work with churches, Baptist churches of like faith and practice. And we had the opportunity of working with the Victory Baptist Church over in Bowling Green, Kentucky. The pastor called me uh, early this year. And uh, he said, Brother Aguiar, I'm in a real rough spot. Is there any way you could just listen for a few minutes? I said, sure. And so he begins to speak to me about how one of the church members in the church got upset. And uh, they went and they left the church and they went down to the courthouse and a few other places and began to put in a complaint on the church that uh, building codes were not updated and a lot of miscellaneous odds and ends. There was structure damage. And just uh, just being a devil, you might call them, but uh, just causing a lot of problems. Well, make a long story short, Monday, here it is. There's 14 inspectors that came by, knocked on the door. The preacher not knowing anything uh, as far as on that area. There are some inspectors that you do not have to allow into your building. Now, there's some you can't stop them, but there's some you do not have to allow. But anyway, all 14, uh, preacher opened the door. All 14 was able to come in. And they crawled through the attic, they crawled through the basement, they went through every room in the church. Well, to make a long story short, there was a two-page list of electrical code problems alone. Not counting there was structural damage uh, due to a windstorm and a rainstorm and uh, many other different odds and ends. And so the preacher, he begins to talk to the head inspector and he asks the head inspector, uh, I'm not, he said, I'm not real familiar with the cost and prices. He said, how much would the two pages that you've given me of electrical be? He said, about $38,000. Well, if you know anything of a Baptist church, when you say 38000 most Baptist churches does not have 38000 just sitting there for no reason. And uh, so he begins to say, well, how long do I have before this has to be done? He says, you have 30 days to have it finished. Well, he gives me a call and he says, Brother Aguiar, is there any way that you can come and help? And I began to look at my schedule. I said, to be honest, I cannot come immediately. There's no way possible. Uh, We have other engagements of helping churches. There's no way that we can uh, go ahead and move those out of the way and put you in first. We cannot do that. I said, uh, just pray for God's will. I can come in about four to five months. He says, well, what do I do in between? I said, trust the Lord. Well, the head inspector was a Christian. And every time his paper would come up for that church, being a Christian, he put it on the bottom. 
Next month came around, it came up, he put it on the bottom. Next month it came, uh, you know, I often wondered how much trouble that person went through just to make sure nobody else knew about that. But he was, you know, he was doing his job as good as he could, but uh, he did mention to the preacher, you better get this done quickly. We was able to get there, it was about five months after he called me, and uh, I asked the preacher, I said, preacher, just give me the whole list, I need to see everything, uh, uh, just give me a copy of everything that needs to be uh, completed, let me take a look at it, and, uh, and then I asked him, I said, how much monies do you have for the supplies that's necessary? I said, we do not charge, we will not charge you for the work that we're doing here. How much money do you have for the supplies? And they had about $3,800, $4,100, somewhere around there. And uh, he said, Brother Aguiar, we put your name on the Lowe's account. You can go in and get whatever that's needed and uh, just start working. It, it, you won't have a problem with it. And so uh, we began to look over the list. And, you know, while we was there, we planned to spend two weeks. God opened up the doors to where we could spend four weeks with that church. We never once charge the church one dime. It hurt a little bit because uh, to make ends meet, sometimes we have to depend on love offerings because our support's not up where it should be. But I went ahead and I said, Lord, we believe it's your will for us to be here for another two weeks. The church only ran about 25 people. And while we're there, this church was in need of physical work. The building was decayed. The, uh, a lot of the walls were knocked down, and we felt it to be the Lord's will. I said, Lord, you'll have to take care of the needs that we have. And, you know, I found out God's always the God that provides. And uh, what a blessing to know we serve that type of God. But we began to work and uh, began to do different things. But I looked over the building, and I noticed one of the rooms were not completed. And I told the preacher, I said, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to finish and complete this room. You could see outside with that room. Uh, there was no ceiling whatsoever. The floor, if you walked on certain boards, you'll go down into the basement. And, I mean, just not too good of a situation. So I began to lay floor, begin to put up the walls, many different things, insulated, and then put in the ceiling, uh, a lot of miscellaneous odds and ends. And, well, while we was there, the church was built in 1912, had a beautiful dome that went up, had a balcony. And, you know, uh, all churches look nice that have a balcony with a chandelier. Now, nobody knows how to play one. But it looks nice to have it in there. And I told the preacher, he said, well, if you can get one pretty reasonable, go ahead. And so we went ahead and did that. And while we was doing that, well, we also worked on the, uh, the electrical and uh, bathrooms and many uh, odds and ends. And uh, three days before it came time to leave. Now, we've helped also not only in the physical needs, but we helped in spiritual needs. I preached every service that I could there. We went out door knocking, visiting, gave out gospel pamphlets. Well, the church went from 25 to 85 people. And, uh, well, three days before it came time to leave, I told the preacher, I said, do me a favor. He said, what's that? I said, call the inspector. And the preacher was come somewhat shaky. He says, Brother Aguirre, are you sure? I said, yes, sir. I said, call the inspector. I said, I want to show you something. I said, I'm leaving two or three things undone. And I showed him exactly what it was. I said, it's going to take about two or three hours to fix these things. But I'm leaving it on purpose. He said, why? I said, every inspector will find something. And I said, I'm leaving this on purpose. So the inspector came, and uh, we had a good time of fellowship because he was a Christian. I said, whatever lights you need, we have all the lighting. If you want to go in the attic, we have plenty of flashlights. I'll put uh, halogen lights, anything you want. Uh, you want to go in the basement, crawl around, we'll provide all the lighting. Let's go and get this thing behind us. 
So I take the inspector, he takes all the tests and the different odds and ends, looks at the structural damage from floors that begin to cave in and need to be uh, structurally formed up and many other different things. Well, after probably an hour and a half of inspection, he goes ahead and he says, you know, I found only two or three things wrong. He said it would take about two or three hours to fix it. He says, but we'll go ahead and sign it off and take it by faith that you'll finish those two or three things. A man walked up to me. He said, Brother Aguiar, I'm the treasurer of the church. He says, I know how much money our church has. He said, we might be able to give you a love offering, but it won't be anywhere near. He's staying four weeks here. He said, how are you able to help churches like ours? Small, not able to give much money. How are you able to do it? And I said, by churches in America taking a part each month and contributing to the necessity of our needs. And by churches doing that, we're able to go in and be a blessing, a help, and encouragement. Our mission, you might say, our job is to minister unto the saints here in America. A lot of churches tonight in need. A lot of churches tonight in despair. A lot of churches, and it's like a car in the wintertime. Many of you have seen those type of cars. Boy, it just won't crank, but you have one of those, you know, with the gear shift. And, you know, if you just give it a little push, it'll get going. You know, a lot of churches are the same way. They just need a little bit of help. And boy, they'll get rolling and pretty soon souls will be saved. God will be blessing. But we hope that you will grab one of our prayer cards. Pray for the Aguiar family as we minister and help many churches here in America. Well, Mark chapter 2 is where I've drawn your attention tonight. And uh, I want to preach on this thought. Who will pick up the stretcher? Stand with me, if you will, as we read a portion of the Word of God. Mark chapter number 2. The book of Mark chapter number 2, could I also express our gratitude and our thankfulness to those that have prepared meals for us. Thank you so much. You've been so gracious. We appreciate the meal that was provided uh, today and uh, what a blessing that was. And we thank you for your generosity. Mark chapter 2, notice in verse number 1, the Bible says, And again he entered to Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, and so much there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether it is easy to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on the earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, go thy way in thy house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, went forth before them all, insomuch they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. This, morning, this evening. Father, we pray tonight you'll bless as we preach the message of the Word of God. Father, this evening I pray that you might give liberty as we 
preach, Lord, this evening. I pray ears might hear, hearts might attend. And, Lord, that the Holy Ghost of God might convict and do the work that's necessary in each of our lives. Lord, we're living in a land where folks are dying, dying without Christ. Lord, we're living in a land where there's some neighbors that will die and drop off into eternity. I wonder, Lord, who's going to pick up the stretcher? Who's going to help? Who's going to help to rescue those from a burning hell? Father, bless the message. Lord, work in hearts and lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The second chapter of the book of Mark is very interesting. It's interesting in verse number 1 where Jesus enters into Capernaum. And if you notice with me, after many days, it was noise that he was in the house. I have to admit, when the Lord comes and He meets with His people, and, you know, it's a blessing to get into a church where you know that God is found in the house. It's a blessing when you go and there it is, you you can sit in the service and you know that you've met with the Lord. It's such a blessing when God is in the house. It really is. I've been to some churches and it seems like if God came in, they would give them a first-time visitor's card because He's never been there before. But it's a blessing when you can go and there the Lord is and you can see Him working. You can see Him in the hearts of the life. You see the people lifting up their voice and praising the Lord. It's just a blessing to be in a church where God is found in that church. Could I say not every building that holds a steeple, holds a piano, holds an organ, holds a pew. Not every building here in America and even with the name of Baptist is a church where God is found at. I've been in many churches where the glory of God is no longer in that church. I've been in many churches, and after I found out about it, here there's not, uh, they're not even qualified different ones to stand behind the pulpit. And I just begin to think, it's a blessing when he's in his house. But here they begin to noise it abroad that he was there. They begin to tell their friends, their neighbor, their loved ones, hey, listen, you need to come on down to the house. The Lord's in the house. You need to come on over. Hey, we met with the Lord. He healed the blind man. He healed the man that was crippled. He went ahead, and, and that one that could stretch out his hand he touched him and now he can stretch it out you need to get over there he's in the house come on down to the house where the lord is i could imagine the enthusiasm and could i say this when you serve the lord there's some enthusiasm i hate going to places where it seems just as dead as four o'clock in the morning i'm honest with you I like to, hey, listen, we have life more abundantly, the Bible says. I have something to shout about. Oh, a person said, Brother Aguiar, look at all that you miss by being a Christian. Look at all the things. You're right, I miss the tribulation. I miss the judgment of God. I miss hellfire. I miss the lake of fire. Hey, listen, we have something to shout about. The Lord is in His house. What a blessing it is. But there in verse number 2, if you notice, the multitudes that was afflicted begin to gather in. I begin to think for just a moment, the church is a hospital for those that are spiritually sick. Now think with me for just a moment. Is your church here, Is it this church, is it a hospital? Lost people come in, they're without Christ, they're sin sick, they're filled with sin. Is it the hospital? Can the medicine, the doctrine be given out as they listen? Can it go ahead and penetrate the stony heart? Here, if you notice, many were gathered together that were afflicted by different things. More, there was a man came in that was crippled, afflicted. The man that was blind, afflicted. And yet, here it is, we notice the multitudes afflicted. I'll say this, as I spent many years in Germany, 15 years in the land of West Germany, I noticed the Germans were afflicted. Had an opportunity of preaching over in England and spent some time in England. I noticed the people there, the British people, had the same problem that the Germans had, afflicted with sin. 
went over into Luxembourg, went over into Austria, uh, went over into many of the European countries, preached in different spots. And you know, I found the same problem, and it's the same problem here in America, afflicted with sin. A person said, Brother Aguirre, if we could just get them off the bottle, it would be all right. No, that's not the need that they have. They're afflicted with sin. Oh, if we could just go ahead and get them off the drugs, you know, just go ahead and sober them up. If we could just go ahead and clean them up, you can clean them up and clean them up. But the truth of the matter is they're afflicted with sin. The problem we have. Here we notice multitudes that are afflicted. But in verse number 5, I notice a master. I'm going to be getting to the message. I'm just giving you a quick introduction. But verse number 5, I find a master that is able. Aren't you glad we serve a master that's able? You say able to do what? You could fill in the rest of it. There's a master that is able. He can save to the uttermost all those that come to God. I've seen drunkards go ahead and meet with the master. I've seen those that are on dope meet with the master. I've seen those that went ahead and wasted their life meet with the master. And oh, God went ahead and cleaned them up, changed their life. Oh, I'm glad there's a master that's able. He healed the leopard man. He went ahead and cast out the devil. He even healed the mother-in-law. I'm saying a master that is able to go ahead and save folks. What a blessing to serve a God like that. What a blessing it is that there is a master that is able. But if you notice with me, the problem is they couldn't get this man to Jesus due to the press. I begin to think for just a moment, a lot of folks will get saved, but the press is stopping them. Now I'm not talking about the the worldly press. I'm talking about here in the church. A lot of folks are thinking, well, I would get saved, but what would so-and-so think? I mean, I'd play the part of a church member for who knows how many years. I would get saved, but what would sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so, what would they think of me? Maybe I taught a Sunday school class. Maybe I went ahead and sang in the choir. Maybe I went ahead and took up the offering. Maybe I played an instrument. What would they think if they finally, if people finally realized I was lost and I was in need of a Savior? Could I say this? I could care less. It would be worth being saved by the grace of God. The press was stopping them. Oh, but there is a master that is able. There was a message. I, I'm giving you just a quick outline. I'm, I'll get to the message in a minute. A message that was argued. They argued over the message. Oh, many times I've gone in and I've knocked on the doors of folks trying to give them the gospel, and boy, they'll argue with the message. Oh no, I got to jump into that pool of baptism. I got to get sprinkled. I have to go ahead and give money in the church. I have to go ahead and do this. And my, they argue with the message. Some argue with water. Some argue with a wafer. Some argue with the wealth. Some argue about a worship service. Oh, but here, if you notice, they argued with the message. I also noticed that the miracle was apparent. The Bible says immediately. Could I say things should take place in your life immediately when you are saved? Now I realize we grow every day in the grace and knowledge of Christ. I know that we grow and we should be fashioned more. I understand that. But do you realize with me when you would say there's some things that changed immediately? For some reason, I mean, just things just change. My attitude changed. My life changed. It just seems like things change. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Oh, the miracle was apparent. But tonight I want to look on this thought, maybe in verse number 3, and just pick up on a, a thought tonight. Not really preaching much on the multitude that's afflicted or even the master that's able or the message that was argued or even the miracle that was apparent. But I want to maybe preach for a few minutes on this thought of the men 
that were available. Who's going to pick up the stretcher? If you notice verse number 3, the Bible says, And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. It's interesting that there was not two, nor one, but four. Could I say tonight the church cannot go on with just one person doing the job? Nor can the church go on with just two people doing the job. Here, when I look at this number four, I see a completion. I see here, they all join together. And I'll say this tonight, you are a very important part of the local New Testament church. You are very important and you need to do all you can and join in and take your part in the church. I often think of these four different ones. Who were they? Some say it was Matthew, Mark. Luke and John, some say it was John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Other folks have different opinions. Who were the four people that picked up the stretcher? I'm going to give you four folks, I believe it was, and you can either agree or disagree, it won't bother me. But I believe one of the people was Mr. Compassion. You say, what do you mean? Here comes the man, sick of the palsy. He's there at the gate, and here comes Mr. Compassion. And he begins to walk out of that gate there. And as he looks over on the side, the man is there. He's holding up a cup. He's asking for money. He's asking for benefits. He's asking for someone to go ahead and care for him. He's asking for something. He's asking for bread. He's just begging out, crying for mercy. And here, Mr. Compassion, he begins to look upon this person, and he starts to think, I'm in, I was in the same spot. I was a beggar. I was was without Christ. I was an enemy of God. I was alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. I was a stranger from the promises of God. And oh, God went ahead and brought me nigh. And oh, his heart begins to pour out. And he begins to have a burden for that person. Could I ask you a question? When was the last time you had a burden for somebody? When was the last time you had a burden? Or could I use the term a little bit? Maybe a vision of somebody dropping off and going into hell. When was the last time, could I say, where there's no vision, the people perish. Where there's not a burden. Where there's not that love and that concern for that lost person. The people will perish and die and go to hell. Here, Mr. Compassion, I believe he goes ahead and picks up the uh, uh, part of that uh, stretcher to get that man to Christ. When was the last time you was concerned for the lost? We have our schedules so fixed. Boy, we're concerned about our jobs. We're concerned about our stomachs. We're concerned about our automobiles. We're concerned about this, that, and the other. When was the last time you was concerned for a lost person? Maybe the next time you look at your neighbor, could you imagine them in the flames of hell crying out for just a drop of water? When was the last time you was concerned that somebody was going to drop off and go to hell. Mr. Compassion person once said, Oh, Brother Aguiar, if we can get them into the church, have them sit down in the church. We'll have the air conditioning running just right. Oh, the steeple looks so nice. We'll have the nice music to go. And oh, they'll go ahead and see that we're Christians. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they'll know that we're Christians by the love that we have one for another. They'll know we're His disciples by the love we have. It bothers me sometimes about some of the things that we love. Some folks love the world more than the things of God. That's why they're not found on a visitation. Some folks love the automobile more than they love God. That's why they're not tithing. Some people love the entertainment of the world. That's why they won't be found here tomorrow night. 
I just begin to think here the love. Mr. Compassion, I believe, picks up the stretcher, but I also believe there's a second person. Not uh, Compassion's great, but compassion cannot do the whole job. You can have all the compassion in the world here in this church, but that will not do the job. We've been to churches where it's all compassion. Oh, everybody loves everybody. They're just as concerned, but you know what? I notice other things missing. Brother Aguirre, what else do we need? I believe Mr. Compassion picked up the stretcher, and I also believe Mr. Commitment picked up the stretcher. Now, when I preach on this, I preached a number of missions conferences, and nobody wants to talk about commitment. Brother Aguiar, don't preach on commitment. No, I, I don't think a preacher ought to preach on commitment. Brother Aguiar, I'm just not. I, I just don't like anything that has to do with commitments. I know that's why you signed 30 years on a house. You signed five years on an automobile that one day will rust. You signed who knows how long on a credit card that might not ever get paid off because you don't like commitments. I begin to think for just a moment, what is a commitment? Would you turn with me to the book of Acts? The book of Acts, chapter number 27. What is a commitment? I believe Mr. Commitment was necessary. What does it mean to be committed to the things of God? When a person says, well, I'm committed to do this, what does it mean? When a person says, well, I can't come to church because I made this commitment, what does it mean? What is a commitment? Could I say in America, very few folks know very little about commitment. That's why there's so much divorce going on. A lot of folks, they go ahead, they get married, and they, they supposedly make a commitment. But they don't know that it means for better or for worse, through rich or through poor, through sickness and through health. They just want the good times. It seems like after the honeymoon's over, here it is. It seems like they're now parting their ways. And how, but what does it mean now to be committed? What does it mean? Notice Acts chapter number 27. There's a fourfold meaning of the word commitment found in verse number 40. The Bible says in Acts 27 verse 40, when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loose the rudder bands, and hoist up the mainsail, and made towards shore. If you notice a fourfold part of what a commitment is, you say, what do you mean? First of all, in order to be committed, they had to pull up the anchors. You know, you would serve God a little bit more. You would do some things more for God. But the problem is you have the anchors in this world. You would really be found here on a visitation. But the problem is you have an anchor holding you down, stopping you from doing the will of God. You would get involved and be found even on a Sunday school time. But the problem is there's an anchor and it's keeping you from the will of God. It's keeping you from the work of God. It's keeping you from the wardrobe of God. It's keeping you from the wages of God. Hey, I'm just trying to say the anchors are holding us from doing the things of the Lord. If you're going to get committed, you're going to have to pull up the anchors. Too many folks have these hooks in the world. Have you ever wondered why that rapture is known as a great snatching away? It's about the only way to get some folks out of this world. You say, I don't believe it. Look at what they had to do with Lot. He was so hooked up to the world that the angels came and literally drug him out. It bothers me that our commitments are in this world. Talk to folks. Well, Brother Aguiar, I would come to church, but you've got to realize I've had a rough week. Sunday's my only day to sleep in. That means your God is relaxation. I know you can be quiet. It won't bother me. I've been up north. and They'd never say a word to me anyway. I start to think for just a moment. A lot of folks, they say, well, Brother Aguiar, I can't tithe. I have to pay these bills. That means the bills are your God. 
Well, Brother Aguiar, you know, Sunday school is for kids. Since when? You know, some of the best things I've learned has been in a Sunday school class. When the teacher gets up and teaches the Word of God. Some of the greatest lessons I've learned has been in Sunday school. Hey, listen, the problem is you're not committed. The anchors are holding. But notice it doesn't stop there on the anchors. If you notice, the Bible says they loose the rudder bands. You say, what's the rudder band? Have you ever seen maybe a, a picture here of a ship? It's a huge ship. It's found in the ocean. There it is. There's a huge captain at a huge wheel. And I start to think for just a moment. Here it is, that captain's guide in that big ship. Boy, that he's turning the wheel in the direction he wants it to go. But you know, sometimes the storms get rough. And sometimes it's not safe to be out on top deck with that big wheel. But the captain wants it to go in a certain direction. And so what he does, he knows he doesn't need to be there. It's dangerous. And so he'll tie these rudder bands on one side and tie it on the other. And no matter what it is, it's going to go in the direction of that person. You know what? We've tied our lives up. You know why there's very few missionaries on the mission field? Because too many folks have tied up their lives. You know why it is that I, I begin to think for just a moment we had the opportunity of going into South Dakota preaching, North Dakota. Do you realize with me there's only nine Baptist churches in North Dakota? Now I'm using that term loosely, Baptist. I'm not saying independent Baptist. I'm saying Baptist churches, nine Baptist churches. Why don't many people go up there and start a church? Have you ever wondered about it? I believe it's because we tied our lives up. You drop down one state in the state of South Dakota, over a million some folks there. I believe it's uh, 1.3 million people found uh, in South Dakota. And I begin to think for just a moment, there's only 11 Baptist churches. Why is it? Because we tied our lives up. Go on over to some of the places there in Africa, and there it is, natives running through the jungles naked, never once hearing the gospel, never once hearing that Jesus saves, never once seeing a copy of the Word of God, never once having a gospel tract presented to them. You say, why is it? Because we tied our life, and no matter what, listen God, we're going to go this direction no matter what you say, and we tied our lives up, and we are not committed to the things of the Lord. Some of us have tied it up so much that we can't even come to church because we have this job, that job, and all the other jobs. Some of us have tied it up because we have this school, that school, and all the other schools. By choice, we made that decision. You see, if we're going to be committed to the things of God, we're going to have to cut the rudder bands. If you notice, and I'll move on quickly, you're getting too quiet, but in verse 40, if you notice, they hoist up the main sail towards the wind. Could you imagine being in a storm? You've already pulled up the anchors. That would make you travel a little bit faster. You already cut the rudder bands. That would make you go a little bit faster. But then they said, why wait around? Let's put up the mainsail. Let's do it quickly. Has it ever dawned on you that the king's business, as the book of 1 Kings mentions, requires haste? Has it ever dawned on you while you're trying to wait and wait and wait and wait, folks are dying and going to hell? While you're trying to make a decision whether or not you should come out to visitation, there's folks dying and going to hell. Could I say even here in Fort Hood, Texas? I believe it's time we hoist up the main sail. I believe it's time we got with it. I believe it's time we begin to grow a little bit faster in the things of God. It bothers me. I went to a church one time. Here's a person been saved 20 years, and he's not even sure of the virgin birth. It's time we grew up. 
I'm being honest with you. It's time we just got involved and here hoist up the mainsail to the wind. And then if you notice, they put feet to their prayers. They made towards shore. I believe if folks are going to get saved, we need to put feet to our prayer. Lord, we pray You'll bless the missionaries that they'll go out and, and spread the gospel. Hey, listen, you need to pray for them, but you need to also get involved. Who's going to pick up the stretcher? Mr. Compassion. Mr. Commitment, but could I give you a third person I believe that's necessary? Mr. Cooperation. Now, I'm not talking about a cooperation program. I preach against that garbage. I'm being honest. But I believe it's time we cooperated. Had people, they got upset. Well, Brother Aguiar, we got a new piano in and I can't play it. And so they leave the church. Why don't you grow up and cooperate? Well, they didn't call on me to pray today. Well, Brother Aguiar, you know, I, there's just some things I just don't agree with. Could I say, have you ever found anybody that you did agree with? And to be honest, you probably don't even agree with yourself. Well, you just don't understand the preacher. He didn't shake my hand when I walked out of the door. So? You know, we need to learn to cooperate. I remember in the book of, I believe it's the book of Exodus, there Joshua went down and fought with Amalek. They came against him in battle. And Moses there is, uh, he sent Joshua and quite a number of men out to fight. And Moses went up to the top of the mount. He had Aaron and Hur with him. And, and they began to look down at the battle there in the valley. And they noticed that Joshua was losing. So what happens? Moses goes ahead and he begins to reach out, trying to get a hold of God. He begins to lift up his hands. And here it is, as he begins to lift up his hands, he begins to cry out to God, saying, God, we need your help. Lord, we'll lose the battle unless you get involved. Lord, it's, a, it, 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 it's all in vain unless you go ahead and get involved. And boy, as he held up his hands, there it was. He could look down and see the battle was going good. He could see Joshua was winning. He could see things were going great. But I want you to know it's easy for one person. It's easy for some people to get weary and well-doing. It's easy to go ahead and pretty soon the hands begin to come down and pretty soon through exhaustion. And it just seems he's so tired that now he's looking and Joshua's losing the battle because he got weary and well doing. But I'm thankful there was an Aaron and there was a her and really her was a he and they got on both sides. They held up the man of God's hand and there it was. They was able to win the battle. They was able to fight the enemy. You say why? Because somebody cooperated. What would it have been like if Aaron said, no, I want the right hand? What would it have been like when her would have said, no, I don't want to be on this side, I want to be on the other side so I can be seen better by the children of Israel? Has it ever dawned on you that you don't have to be in the light? Would you serve the Lord if you're still not in the light? Oh, I'm, I'm just noticing here, we need some folks to say, Lord, it doesn't matter if I'm the one just sweeping up the, the floor, vacuuming the floor, shining the pews, or going ahead and taking a part in whatever it is. But Lord, I want to be the one to cooperate and do the work of God. We need some folks that will be willing to cooperate. You say, well, Brother Aguiar, I just don't agree. And I had a person say this, I don't agree with the pastor. I went to a, my nephew, he was, they had some type of little t-ball or whatever it was for the little kids. 
So here it is. I went to watch him play. And I'm standing behind the fence. I'm right behind the umpire looking at things. And here one of the little boys got up with that T-ball. And uh, it wasn't really T-ball, but it was pitching the ball. And here that umpire called a ball a strike. That's the way I saw it. But you know what I found out? No matter how I see things, what the umpire says is right. Has it ever dawned on you that you're standing behind the fence? And though you might see something different, God's went ahead and put a leader in the church, and no matter how you see it, God's placed the leader as right. We've been in so many churches and so many people come, Brother Aguiar, I have this against my pastor. I tell him, why don't you get it right? Well, you haven't even heard my story. I said, I don't have to hear your story. When God sets up a preacher, you need to go ahead and obey and do the work of God. I know it gets quiet. People don't want to go ahead and take orders anymore. Everybody wants to be, hey, listen, if folks are going to get saved, if folks are going to come to Christ, we're going to have to have folks to cooperate in the local New Testament church. Mr. Compassion picks it up. Mr. Commitment picks it up. Mr. Cooperation. But there's a fourth man, and I hope you get this tonight. There's also Mr. Contribution. You say, Brother Aguirre, I don't believe it. Who bought the stretcher? You can see later on there was a problem that came up where they needed some rope. Uh, who was the one to go down to Ace Hardware and pick up some new rope that they could go ahead and get the job done? I began to think, and I love to read prayer letters of missionaries. We go into a lot of churches. Sometimes we're the first ones there. Sometimes we're there before many folks are not. And sometimes I just look at the prayer letters and just read those prayer letters praying for missionaries. And sometimes, you know, I start to think about it. Those missionaries, how are they able to be on the mission field? Do you realize with me there are some countries where a missionary cannot work? It's illegal. How are they able to stay on the mission field by somebody giving? Has it ever dawned on you this church might be loved by the community? I don't know. But I guarantee you, even if this church is loved very deeply by the community, at the end of the month you're going to receive an electric bill. Do you realize with me, you go to get ready to build, and as you're thinking about building this building, you'll go down to a hardware store. They may love you all that they love you, but I want you to know somebody's going to have to pay the bill for all the materials. And I often wondered who's going to be the one who's going to say, God, you went ahead and blessed me with some money, and so I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to give to the work of God. I'm going to give to the things of God. Could I say something tonight? There's something more than just a tithe that belongs to the church. You begin to read, here God says, you've robbed me not only in tithes, but you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. Have you ever thought about this tonight? Oh yes, I believe the tenth should go to the local New Testament church. I don't believe a person is right with God. And I'll say this, I heard one preacher say, you need to give while you live so you know where it goes. Oh, well, Brother Aguirre, I will everything to the church. You need to give while you're living so you know exactly where it goes. Here, I'm just beginning to think the tithe that goes to the church, but there's some offerings that you need to take a part in. Faith promise giving, helping out here, helping out there. Oh, there's a building that needs to be built. I believe here, if we're going to get the job done, Mr. Contribution steps in. 
Here all four of these men work together. Mr. Compassion, Mr. Commitment, Mr. Contribution, Mr. Cooperation. They pick up the man and here they're beginning to take this man to Jesus. And what did you know it? Opposition. And I'll say this, you will get opposition. There will be problems. Oh, they're not going to like it when you bring people to Jesus. I mean, they don't like it. Opposition, and now they can't get through. And Mr. Compassion says, I just can't leave this man on the step. I just can't leave him here to die. Mr. Commitment says, I'm far too committed to the things of God. I can't let him die here either. Mr. Cooperation says, I don't know what to do. Just tell me. And Mr. Contribution says, wait right here. He goes down to the hardware, picks up some rope. Could I say this? I believe he got new rope. You say, why, Brother Aguiar? I believe the Lord should have the best. I hate going to churches, and don't get me wrong, I hope you won't get me wrong, but I hate going to churches, and here it is, we have to put a bathroom in, and somebody wants to bring some toilet that Grandpa used about 50 years ago. Why don't you give God something that you would use in your own house? Why don't you go ahead and give him what belongs to him? Oh, our best should be given to the Lord. I believe this man picked up new rope. I don't believe he went ahead and looked for the cheapest thing around. I believe he looked for something that would get the job done right. You know, it's easy to pick up things that's cheap. Do you realize with me there are some different places that I've heard of and they'll go ahead, they send missionaries a lot of NIVs. But I don't want to use a cheap Bible. I'm I'm honest with you. I don't want to use something that's not going to get the job done right. I'd rather go ahead and spend a little bit more money and get what's right. So whenever we get ready to do things, every now and then we have soul winning uh, uh, crusades where we just go out for four weeks and and help a church door knock. And I make sure I get the King James Bible or the King James John and Romans or the King James New Testament. You say, why? Because I want to get what's right even if it costs a little bit more. I believe you got a good rope. I believe you got a new rope. They go ahead. Imagine now, imagine with me the careful procedures on top of the road. Imagine how they had to be so careful that they didn't lose this man. Could I say this? It's very important that you're careful with that lost sinner. Oh, it's easy to go ahead and tell him how he ought to live, how he ought to dress. How, but could I say that's not what he's needing in his life? We've got to be careful that we go ahead and get them to the Savior. The careful procedure. And imagine here the work that's done. And here now they're lowering a man and getting them right in front of the Lord Jesus. Could I say this? That's the greatest place to put a sinner. Oh, if he could see how he loved them. And if that sinner could see how he died for them. All the sufferings of that Savior. How he went ahead and gave his life that he might redeem them from the, from the sin. And, and from uh, be able to change his life. Oh, uh, it calls that sinner to want to come to Christ. It's interesting though. In verse number 5. The Bible says when Jesus saw their faith. Whose faith did he see? The man laying in the stretcher? Oh, no. When Jesus saw their faith. Here's Mr. Compassion. Here's Mr. Commitment. Here's Mr. Cooperation. Mr. Contribution. They're holding the ropes. Oh, they're looking down. They're smiling ear to ear that they got the man near Jesus. They got him right there. And Jesus looks up and he sees their faith. You know, great things take place when the Lord sees your faith. 
I began to think about the faith of the churches of Macedonia in Acts, uh, or in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. God saw their faith and how God began to bless that church, the churches of Macedonia. You know, the church of Philippi didn't have much, but they said, Paul, we want to give to your necessities. And, and they sent once and even again unto Paul's necessity. And whole, I began to think how they went ahead and, and gave to the work of God. God saw their faith, and Paul says, I want you to know my God shall supply all your need. You went ahead and sacrificed. You've went ahead and given. And I want you to know God will supply your need. Great things take place when God sees our faith. Great things take place as we go ahead and by faith we go out door knocking and oh, we might not get that one to come in that we knocked on, but God brings another one and had an old-fashioned altar. They get to say, hey, great things take place when God sees our faith. Great thing took place when God saw your faith the very first time you exercised it and called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Great things take place. Here, He saw their faith. Oh, we know the story how He said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. We, we, we also see something here. And notice with me in verse 11. He says, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, go thy way in thy house. And immediately arose and took up the bed and went forth before them all. Imagine Jesus says, Arise, take up your bed. The man jumps up the first time. Strength is in his legs. He goes ahead and rolls that bed up it under his arm, and then he goes walking off whistling amazing grace. Just imagine here great thing. Imagine here the glory that took place when this man went ahead and met with the Lord. I believe something took place up on the top though. Those four men looked at each other and I believe they said this, mission accomplished. I've often thought about getting a rubber stamp made. And as I read the prayer letters of a missionary that's having it rough, Trials have come in his life. But he said, we saw two people saved. I like to put it on, on, on that prayer letter. Mission accomplished. Maybe someone that's really having it rough and boy, the devil's been fighting and then they're right back saying, praise the Lord. We went ahead and established a church. Three people got baptized. Oh, and I like to stamp on it. Mission accomplished. Sometimes when we go out door knocking, it seems like nothing worse than trial. But here, somebody comes and they get saved. I like to go ahead and just shout out, Mission accomplished! Could you imagine how they must have felt seeing this man for the first time rise up and walk? I believe they got off the rooftop. Mr. Compassion looks at each one of them. Commitment looks at each one. Cooperation, contribution. Mr. Compassion says, you know what? Though we got that man to Jesus, I know of a per another person and I'm somewhat concerned about him. You know, Mr. Commitment says, you know, even though we got him to Jesus, I'm still committed to making sure more gets there. Mr. Cooperation says, you know, I'm, I'm still not sure how to do it, but I'm willing to go and help you. Mr. Contribution says, you know what, God's blessed me again with some money. Let's go find somebody. Let's get them to Jesus. Could I say this? You picking up the stretcher is not just a one-time thing. As you give to missions, I hope it's not just a one-time thing. I hope each month your desire, your growth will get bigger and bigger. I hope your compassion will get bigger. I hope your commitment will get bigger. I hope your cooperation will get bigger. I hope your contribution would get bigger. The end and result of this is... Not only was there a multitude afflicted, not only was there a master that's able, not only was there a message that was argued, not only was the miracle apparent, not only was the, uh, the men available, the mission was accomplished, but then the multitudes were amazed. They said, we've never saw it on this fashion. 
That little wife seems like she gets beat up quite often. Seems like her husband could care less. But oh, as we give the gospel and we see him get saved, for some reason he changes around and no longer does he beat up the wife. For some reason, no longer is he running around. You say, why? We've never saw it on this fashion. Here it is, that person running around, acting so ungodly, doing ungodly deeds, getting involved in all this sin. But when they meet the Savior, their life changes. The dope is no longer needed. It seems like now they're found in the house of God all the time. And people say, we never saw it on this fashion. What a blessing when we have some people that's available to do the work of God. Tonight, could I ask you a question? Will you pick up the stretcher? Will you join with these four? Maybe you need some more compassion. Maybe you need to have more of a commitment. Maybe you need to cooperate. Maybe you need to take part with Mr. Contribution. Tonight, could I ask you who will pick up the stretcher?